We will be reading in just a moment from the epistle to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be reading the first 12 verses. Before reading, I'm going to make just a couple of comments of, uh, as, as if I were at Presbytery, say, point of personal privilege. So when uh, I was approached a month ago about maybe preaching, I did say, you know, most preachers do prefer to preach in either a short series or something rather than just popcorn one at a time. And so the session was gracious enough. And so this is the fourth week in a row uh, that I've come and been had the opportunity and privilege to open God's word for you. It's, it's not because we don't have a plethora of wealth in this congregation of men who can bring God's word with clarity and, and wisdom and power. Uh, but I thank the session for this opportunity for these uh, past four weeks. Also, three weeks ago, um, and hopefully I'll be tying some of these past weeks together in just a moment, uh, but you would probably be a little bit disappointed if I did not greet you as the elect exiles. Good to see you today, elect exiles. Because we've been talking about salvation, and in 1 Peter chapter 1, and I spent a good bit of time uh, on, on this point of the Apostle Peter identifying the people as elect exiles and what that meant for them, and, and the thinking that that should have to them to be called exiles. Because um, that's not our normal frame of thinking, especially as Americans and United States citizens here in the West. But I talked about, and, and this is my second point of privilege here, I talked about, you know, it'd be, be nice if we, we had a way that to visit physically or visibly um, remind ourselves of being elect exiles. And I talked about how sometimes we have caps that identify ourselves. And I, won one of my, I brought one of my identifiers this, this morning. If you can't read it, you know the symbol U.S. Army. Go Army, Bait Navy, Air Force Two. Sorry, guys. So I went and had made, because we're going to read again in verse 11 of chapter 2, because he mentioned it twice in, in the first chapter, and now he's mentioning it again. He refers to fellow sojourners and exiles. So I've had caps made that say sojourner and exile. They weren't ready for me today, but hopefully by next week. So if you see me wearing a sojourner and exile cap, I had 10 of them made. And if you think you would like one of those caps, you need to come up to me and not say, oh, I think that's a cool hat. Could I have one of those? I'll say, mm-mm. But if you say, Sojourner and Exile Kelly, I too am a Sojourner and Exile, and I would love to have a cap to identify me as such. Then I'll say, here you are, Sojourner and Exile. Here's a cap for you. But it'll only go to the first nine, because I'm going to keep one for myself. So if you see me wearing one of those Sojourner in Exile caps, 
and you would like that as a physical identifier for you as well, you know how to ask for it. Commercial over. <laughs> first Peter chapter 2, the first 12 verses. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are, the peop are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles so honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we have read your precious and holy word, may you open our minds our hearts, that we may see, that we may hear from your spirit. And we just pray this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I am going to take just a moment to go back in review, and I won't try to spend too much time doing this, but a month ago we, we heard from Psalm 2, which is the psalm of God and his reign and of his anointed one. And it was clear in Psalm 2 that his anointed one is that of Jesus. And it started off by asking the question, why nations do you rage? And kings, why would you plot against the Lord and his anointed? Because it is a thing of vanity, for he is indeed 
the creator, the sustainer, the owner of all things. And he has given his power and his authority to his anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ, in which Paul picks up. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one at whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord at his name. He reigns over all. And so much in our, our, our current uh, society and culture have they tried to say, well, you just keep your little religious stuff in its own closet, okay? It's fine for you to have that in your private life. Have you ever had somebody who, if they know you're a believer, I remember when I was in seminary, and so they, they I mean, I was in seminary. They knew I was studying God's word, right? And so it was almost like before they, they said hello, they said, you know, I think religion is something very private, and I just don't want to talk about it. I was like, okay, it's nice to meet you too. You know, my name's Kelly. Because people have these conceptions of Christians. But they want us to keep it in its own little corner. Can't do that, people. Just can't do that. Either the Lord reigns in our hearts or he doesn't. And we have to have a kingdom mindset. We even pray in our Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Think of the gospels. And I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself because, you know, we, we talked about first the glory of salvation or the wonder of salvation in 1 Peter chapter 1. Just to meditate on God's great mercy and all, all of the things that that encompasses. Talked about being born again, about having a living hope. And it, and it talked about just how precious and wonderful and amazed we should be that God in his infinite love came to have mercy on sinners such as ourselves. Think of the Gospels, though. Are the Gospels written just so you can have an idea how you can be saved? I'm not going to say that's not a big part of it. Or is it to explain to us our king is come to establish his kingdom? And is this not also what Revelation echoes to us? The calling of Israel in the Old Testament. Was it to take them away from the Gentiles? Or was it to make them a light to the Gentiles? After we talked about the wonder of salvation in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, we also talked about the calling of salvation. And this whole idea that God did not just come to you to give you something like, oh, I've got salvation and it's, it's like a trophy I can put on a mantle. But God has come to us in order to go through us. And he's called us to certain things. We talked about being called to obedience, to holiness, to love one another. 
Yes, salvation is given for humans, but salvation is also to go through humans. For it is not yours solely to just relish in as an individual. Salvation, and I'll tie you, this is where I'm tying it with Psalm 2, the Psalm of the Reign and the Anointed One of, of Jesus Christ. Salvation makes you a subject of the King. Subjects are those who submit to laws and honor their king. Salvation is an amazing thing that has come to us as individuals. And even though it is personal and individual, it didn't come to you independently. When Jesus came to you, you came to join in with other members and citizens of the kingdom. That's why we come and gather together corporately. So we come today to this passage and I ask, so what is the purpose of salvation? Because everything in our culture screams, life's about me. You know, one of the army's best kind of taglines and promotional advertisements back in the 70s and 80s and now it's back again be all you can be and perhaps one of the best marketing strategies of all time was you deserve a break today and you cannot hear a politician talk about what they're going to do for you and what rights you deserve. And you know, if we just left off in chapter one in our talks of salvation, God's given you new life. He's given you a living hope. He's called you to obedience. He's called you to holiness. There's even a way because our culture teaches us everything is so much about us that we even sometimes put that grid on top of scriptures and think that even salvation's about us. I hate to break this to you, my friends, but it's not. It's not about you. You're a big part of it. But never forget, it's about the kingdom. And it's about how we can glorify God collectively as his people and his saints. And that's what we come to here in this passage in Peter, where it's talking about Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? If you're a builder, and I'm, I'm not a lot of a builder, but a builder is the stone that you set, and it sets the precedent for everything else of how that structure is going to be built. It sets the, the lines, and it does all sorts of things for the foundation. And if you don't have a foundation, you don't have much of a house. Jesus Christ is our foundation, and he is our cornerstone. And we become, as it says, living stones connected 
We are nothing apart from Christ. You go through the Apostle Paul and, and, and you read so many passages where it talks about believers being in him. This whole in him principle is something we can't forget. We are connected to Jesus Christ. And it's about his glory, about his honor. And so I'd like to just give you a couple of purposes that this passage emphasizes this for us this morning. So purpose number one, what do we need to do? I think we see that in verse two, where it says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may, what? Grow up into salvation. How many times have you heard somebody say that? Oh, you just need to grow up. Well, it's kind of true. And think of even Paul's words when he talked about in, in 1 Corinthians, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When we become believers, in a real sense, we're infants in Christ. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot about this sanctification process that has to take place. There's a whole lot about putting off the old man, putting on the new. And, and Peter has even listed a long list of things here. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, passions of former ignorance, futile ways. And it's a way of him saying, it's time to stop doing these foolish things. When you are found in Christ and a living stone connected to the cornerstone. And it's time we grow up into salvation. This is, we've also mentioned before, taking every thought captive to Christ. We talk about sanctification as the work of God's grace that renews the whole person after the image of God. And so, my friends, part of our purpose is to grow up in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to grow up in our being conformed to his image, to grow up in the grace that renews us. It, we grow up as we come to understand that we have come to Christ, the cornerstone. And so Peter also has descriptions of God's people as living stones coming as a result of being affixed to Christ. Here are the identifying descriptions he has here living stones spiritual house holy priesthood chosen race royal priesthood holy nation these are corporate descriptions of us and again we like to take the things and identify them individually to us but i challenge you that we need to own these corporate descriptions 
And if we are not seeing ourselves as living stones connected to other stones, if we don't see ourselves as a spiritual house, as a holy priesthood, as a chosen race, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, if we don't see ourselves corporately in this way, we need to grow up. Because understanding our salvation is to understand, in a sense, the corporate aspect of it. That we are connected to one another because we are connected to the cornerstone. Second purpose is quite clearly marked out here as well. And we've talked about this and we've read this last couple of weeks. I kind of gave this to you as a, as, as a marker to perhaps memorize. In verse 9, where it repeats what I've said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is simply repeating one of the central themes of Scripture that I will be their God and they will be my people. Think of the purposes of God through history that we have recorded in Scripture. Remember, he came to Abraham in Genesis 15, 5 and 6, and he promised him a people, a nation. And many people, the Jews and the Arabs, many today, the Muslims, want to claim Abraham as their father. But guess what? It wasn't about Abraham. He was a vessel that God chose. In Exodus chapter 5, and six, we talk about, we read about God using Moses in, in dramatic ways as the people had become slaves in Egypt. And we read about the people coming out of Egypt. Moses, uh, with the ten plagues, we see him leading them through the Red Sea. We see him leading them through the wilderness. But it wasn't about Moses. We read throughout the Old Testament the prophets through Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah. In the New Testament, we have the authors Paul, John, Peter, more and more. And in one point, we even see Paul complaining that some of the people wanted to identify with certain people. But if we take a step back, we realize just because God used people at different times in history, it was never about those individuals. It was about what God was accomplishing through his people in establishing his kingdoms and his purposes. Why? That they may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Is that the effect salvation has in your heart? That it stimulates us and propels us that we can do none other than raise the banner of King Jesus high and proclaim him in every way that he gives us the opportunity. And guess what? Because you live in different spheres and different circles, he'll give you different opportunities than he'll give me. That's why he refers to us as a body of different parts. We all have different gifts given by the Holy Spirit to use according to his purposes. And so we see that the purpose of salvation is all about God. Sounds a lot like chief end of man, doesn't it? To glorify God. This is all about what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Because Jesus lives, we live. Because Jesus is the living stone, we are living stones. We are nothing outside of Jesus. In Christ, we become something glorious. I'm not super well educated in art and different forms of art, but I appreciate certain kinds. A couple of forms of art that I really appreciate. And I, I got to see some of these over in the Middle East. And I love a good mosaic. You know, in ancient times, in Rome and everything, they'd make entire floors uh, out of mosaics. And it's interesting because a mosaic, they just find all of these little bits of stones, right? Some of them of different shapes, some of them sharper, some of them rounded or something perhaps, some of them different colors. And if you just looked at one individual stone, you'd say, that's not much. And you'd be correct. <laughs> but when you look at a mosaic and you see all of these stones put together, it's like, that creates a really fascinating image and picture. Same thing with stained glass windows. What is a stained glass window? It's a bunch of individual pieces of glass that have been shaped and put together. And in originality, some of those glasses might have been just a shard of glass that's really sharp and could have easily just been thrown away. But in the eyes of somebody who knows how to create art, it's like, no, I can do something with this. And they can, they can, they can make the edges smoother and then they can form them with other pieces of glass. And then you stand back and you say, wow, I would have never thought. That's pretty interesting. My friends, Jesus takes little pebbles of rocks, 
sharp pieces of glass like you and me. And he didn't toss them away, but he revealed his son to us that we might have faith and believe in him. And it's not about the little piece of glass or the rock, but it's about the picture being created. And we come together to be the people of God. Again, God did not call us out. He did not call Israel to be their holy huddle and not interact with the rest of the nations, but to be the light to the nations. And he had taken, has taken us by ourselves. I'm sorry, not to hurt anybody's feelings. Really not much of anything in the big picture of things. And even if we were something big and important, it, 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 compared to God, doesn't amount to anything. But as people who believe in him, as living stones come to be affixed to the cornerstone, we become something glorious beyond our imagination. And we have to realize there's nothing in ourselves that is glorious, but it is only because we serve a glorious God. Sojourners and exiles, grow up into your salvation. Wonder at it. Let it flourish within you. But then let it go forth from you to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. And I love the way this passage concludes. And hopefully you see the parallel the last phrase, it says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Doesn't that sound familiar to Christ's words? Let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That is our purpose to individually and collectively do the works of God, proclaiming his excellencies, that he alone may receive the glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the imagery that you give us of a cornerstone And Lord, as we've sung and read, despised by some, rejected by others, but only by the illumination of your spirit, received by faith of those who seek salvation in you. So Lord, we thank you 
for such a great salvation that you allow us to participate in your kingdom work here on earth. And we pray that you would build us up as your nation, as your people called to do your work and glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing in praise Psalm 145, Selection A. 145, Selection A. <clears throat> 